Good morning. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to continue in our series, Beginnings. I remember years ago that we went on vacation to Utah, and these were ski mountains, but it was August, so there was no snow. And so you would drive up to the lodge. It was on that mountain, about halfway up the mountain. Then you could take the tram all the way up to the top of the mountain. And during the summertime, you could look out at the sights and see it. It was, it was beautiful. It was wonderful. It was amazing. But then when you were done with that, you had an option. You could either take the tram back down to the lodge where you parked your car and leave, or you could walk down. Well, we were kind of adventurous, and we decided we'd walk down the mountain, right? And so they said there was a path there, and it was about one and a half to two hours down to walk down and wind down the mountain on a brisk walk. And as we started walking, we, we noticed right away the path wasn't very identified. But you don't know me. I love to hike, and I'll, we'll get down there, no problem. So we start walking down, and we had a camera, and we're taking all these pictures, wonderful pictures around. And, you know, we're looking all around, and we're walking around. And all of a sudden, we're about three hours in the walk, and the path stops. There's no path. There's nowhere. Where do we go from here? And we kind of looked and kind of, how did I get here? We took one step at a time, but somehow we got off the path and we're lost on a mountain. Somehow we're there. And we looked down and you could see on a mountain, since you're high up, you could see the lodge. It's just right there. I mean, it looks like I could throw a stone and hit it. So my idea was that we'll just walk straight down the mountain. I don't have a path. We tried to go back. There was no way back. And there's only one option. The option is go straight down there. It's got to be only 15 minutes away because it's just right there. So we start walking straight down. And Anna, my youngest son, was about seven. So I grabbed him by the hand. And I'm holding him with everything so he doesn't tumble. And it's killing our feet because you're on this angle and you're going down. And so we walk about another hour. And still, that lodge is way down there. And it doesn't seem like it got any further. And I remember thinking to myself, how did I get here? How did I get here? I took one step at a time, and now here I am lost on a mountain. And, and it's kind of embarrassing in front of my children because now I'm doing things that I would tell my children never to do. Th that I've been deceived. I've been deceived not only by the sign. It said an hour and a half to two hours. I'm almost four hours in getting down this mountain, and I'm still not down. And, and, and I've been deceived by the path. The path just kind of ran out on me. And I've been deceived by my own eyesight. Looking down there to look, there's the mountain. I can just get down there just by walking straight down. Uh, have you ever been there? Have you ever been there in your life that you're, you're, you look around and you look at yourself and say, how did I ever get here? And this is the way out. Well, we eventually made it down the mountain. And, and by the way, the, the camera that we took, all those wonderful, amazing pictures, at the top of the mountain, it's when you still had film. Remember when you still had film in a camera? And in the film, I changed the film, and I did it. I changed the film in the camera at the top because it ran out. And I put the film in, and somehow I didn't put it in just right. And that one of those pictures came out coming down the mountain as we're taking it. So all that time, we had nothing, just the memories of it. But we lost all that. But, but when you're in those situations, you're wondering, how do I get out of this, right? How do I get here, and how do I get out? And I want to talk to you this morning about deception, deception. And this passage talks a lot about that and applies to us about deception. The big idea this morning is, is that deception is not straightforward. So we must run straight to God's truth. Deception is never straightforward. It deceives us. If you have your Bibles, turn it to Genesis chapter 3. As I said, Genesis chapter 3 is the second scene of the creation story. You remember God created, and what did God say? It was good, it was good, it was good. And then it gets to the sixth day, to the end of the sixth day, he creates man and says, what does he say? It was very good, it was very good. And everything was wonderful and amazing. But then God said, it was not good for man to be alone, right? 
So he created Eve, he created woman, and the, the relationship that we looked at last week, the relationship between Adam and Eve was wonderful, it was amazing. The relationship they had between God and, and Adam and Eve was wonderful and amazing. And we looked at that last week in Genesis chapter 2, everything was wonderful. Wonderful, it was great, right? And then Genesis chapter 3, everything changes. Because in Genesis chapter 3, you have the fall, and sin came in and changed everything. Now, I'm going to be in a lot of different verses, a lot of different uh, uh, verses and, and other places in the Bible besides Genesis chapter 3. But Genesis chapter 3 is going to be our passage today. The first seven verses of Genesis chapter 3, the first five verses are the dialogue that kind of sets up the fall in verses 6 and 7, so you know that. But the first verse I want to look at is Romans chapter 5, verse 12. If you want to turn your Bibles there, you can, but you've got to be fast. It's like a sword drill. You've got to be fast. Romans is in the New Testament to help you there. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. The apostle Paul writes this, and if you're not there, I'm going to read it, so, so bear with me. And he says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that one man is Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, all people, because all sin. When you read that verse, you have to say to yourself, Adam blew it. Adam sinned, right, way back then, way back then. And because he sinned, everything changed. What happened in the garden changed all of life, and it changed it for us today. It's changed. Whether you realize it or not, Genesis chapter 3, the fall, affects us today in a mighty way. If you wondered, I've tried to find happiness and consumerism, and I've tried to find it in, in materialism and individualism, but that happiness and joy always escapes me. It's because of Genesis chapter 3, all the way back there. If you look at your life today and says, I struggle with temptations. There's temptations in my life. Sometimes I'm strong against them. Sometimes I'm weak and I give in to those temptations. I confess it to God, but it seems like I do it over and over and over again. It's all because of Genesis chapter 3. If you say today, you know, I, I feel so lonely. And I feel like I have a hard time making connections not only with God, but with other people. It's all because of Genesis chapter 3. It all goes back to that time and so many other things in our lives goes back to Genesis chapter 3. And what you find happening there is we have a God of truth, but we also have the wicked one who is a liar, right? He's a liar. And so John chapter 8, verse 31 through 32 says this. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said this, these great words, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So we have to run toward the truth of God's word, right? To find the truth. That's what we want, the truth. Not what the world is saying, not what the enemy, Satan, is saying. So here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, we're going to begin reading. But I want to give you three things about deception that was important then, but are absolutely critical for us today to understand. And the first one, let me give it to you if you have your outline. Deception twists God's word. It twists his word. It does all the time. Let's read verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? When you look at that word crafty, it's not a negative word in and of itself. Matter of fact, you have that word used in the Hebrew sometimes it, it, to mean something good, but it also can be used as something bad too, that word. So while the word is neutral, it's the context that determines whether it's good or bad. The context of Genesis chapter 3 is bad. It's bad. So it's saying the serpent is crafty. That means he's cutting. 
He's subtle. He's deceptive. Let's just make it. The enemy, the serpent, he's out to get you, right? And so, so number one, verse one, it says, now the serpent. I want to introduce you to that serpent, to that snake. Even though this passage here does not identify him, uh, there's other places in the, in the Bible that does kind of identify him. And one of those places, one of those verses is Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, where it says this about the serpent. It says, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent, the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. There are some who believe that good and evil are both eternal. They believe that, that they're both eternal. God represented, I mean, good represented by God and evil represented by wickedness or, or Satan or Lucifer. And this philosophy is called dualism. You hear dualism. Whenever you hear that, that's what they're saying. There's this yin-yang. There's this opposition that's going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it's always existed from eternity past. That's not true. That's not the case. That's not right at all. There's only one who is eternal. Who is that? It's God. There's only one who's had no beginning. It's only one, and that is God. And when you read Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel 28, you will find that Lucifer, or Satan, was an angel created by God. But he wanted to be as God. He wanted to be just like God. And in doing so, he led this rebellion of some of the angels of what had happened there. Those angels that God created to worship him, he led some of those in rebellion against God. And what the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 12, that God cast Satan out of heaven along with those angels that rebelled against him, that chose to follow Satan. And there was one third of the angels plus Satan was cast out of heaven, what it says in Revelation chapter 12. The book of Jude tells us that some of those angels were reserved in captivity for punishment, that are ready for punishment right now and to the la at the last day. The rest of those fallen angels, the Bible says, tells us, are used by the wicked one. They're called demons today. That's what we call demons, those fallen angels, to, to spread the work of evil around the world, be used by Satan to spread evil around the world. So evil is not eternal. Evil began on that day in Genesis chapter 3, and there will be a day, well, that will all end, the Bible tells us. One day it's all going to end. And, and all those things that you and I, those stories that we have that rip our hearts apart, of children being abused, of people murdering one another and hurting one another, all the terrible things that happen around our world, there will be a day where all that will end. All that's going to end one day. Why? Because God is eternal. Evil is not. The wicked one, Satan, is not eternal. He's not eternal. Don't believe anybody that says he is. He's not. He's a created being. There's only one who's eternal. It's God. And so one day, righteousness will reign. No longer will there be evil here. God will do away with that. Let's look at the words that he says to Eve here, the serpent says, in the, in the verse 1. He says to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Before we get into that, let's look at that word God. Did God really say? There's a, this little nuance that we don't pick it up very much in the English language, but in every reference to God in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, it, he is referred to by two names together, right? You see that? Lord God, every time. Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. Yahweh Elohim. That's what it means. Yahweh Elohim. All caps. Yahweh. L-O-R-D. Yahweh. Yahweh means the covenant-keeping God, the God who keeps all of his promises, the God who is intimate, the God who cares. That's what that means. Elohim is a, a superlative, means the majestic one, the God in all of his majesty. That's what that is. So when Satan uses the word God here, 
He doesn't use both of those words together. He doesn't use the word Yahweh, and there's a reason he doesn't use that. He takes that away. He doesn't want them to know it's the, the covenant-keeping God, the God who keeps all of his promises, the God who cares, the God who loves you. He doesn't want them to know that about God. So when he uses that word, he takes that out, and that reference here, where you see those two words used together in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, except in two times we don't see it used together. The first time right here is Satan uses it. He just uses the word Elohim, just God. And one of the things the wicked one tries to do is to tempt you and I that we have a God who doesn't care about us. We have a God who doesn't keep his promises. We have a God who's not there for us. The next thing he tries to do, he tries to have you and I to approach God as we're equals. That God is just like you. He's equal. He's busy sometimes. He, he doesn't have time for you. And he wants us to think that we're like equals. Listen to me. We are not equal with God. You know that, right? God is in a different, and I say this as much as I can because I want you to understand, God is in a category all by himself. We are not in the same playing field with God. God is all of us glorious and perfect and righteousness and all that. He is holy, 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 and you and I are not. So we're not in the same playing field. We are not equals with God. And so this is very deceptive is what he's trying to do here to us. So it's interesting the other occasion where it is used is when Eve responds to the wicked one. It's really interesting here. She responds to him not with Yahweh Elohim. She just responds here with Elohim. That's all she says. So what we need to do, we need to go back to Genesis chapter 2 and to see what God actually said because they're quoting God. So we need to see what God actually said in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. So it's either just a page before that or something. Look at that. Because I want to ask you some questions about that to make sure we get this down, what he said. So verse 16 and 17, this is what God said to Adam and Eve in the garden. And the Lord God, see that? Yahweh Elohim commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you, not, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when you eat of it, you will surely die. So when, Eve, when Satan asked Eve the question, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? What Satan is doing is asking that question. He's introducing something that's, uh, this, there's this assumption that we can interpret what God has to say. In other words, we can always ask God the question, did God really say that? Did God really say that we're supposed to be morally pure? Did God really say that we're supposed to love one another? Did God really say we're supposed to forgive one another? Did God really say we're supposed to be honest in all of our business dealings and all those kind of things? Did God really say that? And if God really did say that, did God really mean that? Is that what God really meant is what he's saying? And what Satan is doing here is very subtle and it's very deceptive, twisting the word of God. And what he's actually doing is, is taking away the authority from the author, God, and placing it upon the reader and saying, did God really say that? I mean, how do you interpret that? What does that mean to you? And what does that mean to you? And what does that mean to you? And it takes the authority away from God, and it places on you and I, the reader, that we have the authority to interpret how we think it should be interpreted, right? And that's what he's doing very subtly. He's doing that way back there in Genesis chapter 3. He's doing that. Are you with me? Are you with me? Does he still do that today? That still exists today. He does that. That sometimes he whispers in her ear and say, does God really say that? Did he really say that? He wants you to be happy, doesn't he? So did God really say that? But did he really mean that? Because God wants you to be happy. If he wants you to be happy, then he didn't really mean what he said here. So you can go ahead and do it because he didn't really mean it. And he says it very deceptively and very subtly and gets you and I to fall into the temptation to follow him. We know what God said, don't we? 
So let's look how Eve responds to Satan's questions in verse 2 and 3. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. This isn't exactly what God said, is it? It's not exactly what what he said. There are three things where she gets it wrong. There are three things. Uh, First thing is, uh, it may not seem like a big one, but she says this, that we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. God didn't say that. What God said, he says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, what he says. And perhaps this little nuance of difference in what she's saying here is Eve trying to diminish the goodness and grace of God because God is so generous. You can eat from any tree in the garden except one. That's what he said. Not just you can eat some fruit from trees. You can eat from any tree in the garden just except one. That's what God, so generous. And she says we may eat from the fruit from the trees. Does does people still do that today? They do that all the time. They do that all the time. They, They minimize the goodness and greatness and generosity of God. People do that. God is so generous. His grace is so wonderful and amazing. But people always want to look at the lack that they think they don't have, the negativity of everything. They don't look at how abundance that God has given them. And we do that. We do that as followers of Christ. Many times we always look when things don't go well for us. Oh, God, why has this happened? And we forget about all the great things God has done for us, don't we? And we do that. So that's done all the time today. Notice the second thing she does in verse 3. But God did say, you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. God named the tree. She doesn't name the tree, does she here? You see that. But she goes on, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, we just read Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. You remember that? Did God say you must not touch it? Remind me, did he say that? He didn't say that. He didn't say that at all. He didn't say not to touch it. So if you're, you're walking along and there's the tree and you rub up against one of the branches or you fall against one of the trunk or something like that, touch the tree, are you going to die? God didn't say that. So what Eve is doing, she's adding to God's revelation is what she's doing here. She's adding to it. D- does that ever happen today? It happens all the time. Even some, I've been in some churches, or we have churches that believe in God's Word. They believe in the inerrancy of God's Word. They believe in the inspiration of Scripture. They believe that God's Word is to teach us how to live and, and, and to, to live for God and to glorify Him, to walk with Him. But then they want to add to it. They want to add to God's Word. And there's nothing wrong, don't get me, there's nothing wrong with adding to God's Word unless as soon as we claim it's the authority of Scripture, what we've added to. You know what I'm saying? As soon as we claim that God said what we've added to it, that says it's not right. We can't claim the authority of Scripture, what we've added. And as soon as we do that, claim the authority of Scripture, what we've added, we've done exactly what Eve has done. We've added to the essence of Scripture. God did not say that. I can only quote what God has said here. And I can't quote any more or any less. I can't go beyond that and say, God said this, and then I want to add. I have to make sure people know that's not the authority of God's Scripture. I can't say God said this if he didn't say it, right? But that's what she's doing here. She's adding to the revelation of God. The third thing she does is she softens what God says. Verse 3 again. But God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. and You must not touch it or you will die. Perhaps even doing this, what she was saying, there's a chance you might die, that you might die is what she's saying. There's a chance you might die if you do this. Is that what God said? No. What God says, he said, you will surely die. Very, very strong language God uses. Not a maybe, not a might. You could possibly die. No, you're going to die. 
You, t- you eat of this tree, you will die, is what he said. So, so Eve softened it. And I want to build on that with the second point. Remember the first point, deception twists God's word. The second thing about deception, deception twists God's judgment. God's judgment. Verse 4. It said, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. He says the same thing as God, except he adds one word. You notice the word, what he added? Not, right? Not. He added the word. You will not surely die. There will be no consequences. Go ahead and eat. Deceptively, Satan draws you in. That's what he does. He's good at what he does. He's a deceiver. Subtly deceives you and draws you in. And he's drawing her in because he knows how to do this. One more, one more, one more, one more step. How did I get here, right? How did I get here? How did I wind up in the place that I'm at by just that one thing I did and then I did another and another because the enemy was telling me it was all right to do. And you will not die is what he says. The wicked one says there will be no consequences. You will not surely die. You will not die. That's not going to happen to you. He, he, is he still staying there today? He's telling us today that you will not get sexually transmitted diseases. He's telling us today there's no harm, there's no foul, there's no problem, because there's no judgment from God. Listen, because of this day, this day is all about judgment, man's sin. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, he says this, there's a broad road that leads to destruction, and many find it. But there's a narrow road that leads to life everlasting, and few find it. And there are consequences for our actions, what he says. Listen to me. There's always consequences. Don't believe what the world is telling you. Oh, go ahead and do it. If it feels good, do it. There's a consequence for that, to disobeying God. There's always, always a consequence when we disobey, a consequence for any of our actions. We find that. Let me share with you one last point. It's here in verses 5 through 7. The dialogue is about over, and the sin is about ready to be committed here is what we see. Verse 5. It says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The wicked one, he appealed to her. He, He appealed to her appetite. He appealed to her approval. He appealed to her ambition. By the way, it's the same three things that he did with Jesus when he tempted Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 4 in the wilderness. And with the appetite, uh, Jesus fasted for 40 days, and he comes along and says, you've got to be hungry. See those stones down there? They have round stones in Israel, and it says, they look like a loaf of bread. You can turn that into bread, and you can eat that. I know you can do that because you're God. You can turn that stone into bread, and you can have your fill, and you can be filled. And Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy and says, do not live. We do not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Until approval, he says, cast yourself down, and the angels will catch you. You're not going to die. They're going to catch you. You're not going to die. And he was misapplying or misquoting Psalm 91. And then finally to ambition, he says, bow down and worship me, and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world and the glories of them. And Jesus did as he did in the other temptations. Quotes from Deuteronomy. And he said, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
Because deception is not straightforward. It never is, guys. It comes from all different angles, and it doesn't come straight as. So we need to run straight to the Word of God to find the truth. Because the enemy will try to get you and I to compromise the Word of God. He will try to get you and I to, to make excuses and do all kinds of things instead of following God. He'll change one word in Scripture and get you and I to fall for it. That's why we need to run straight toward the God's truth and to God to find out what is the truth. Not believe the enemy, not believe sometimes our memory, but go to God's word and open up and find what the truth. We have to do that. Let's read verse 6 again. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The third thing about deception, deception twists God's character. It twists his character. God doesn't want you to eat from that tree because he knows that when you eat of that tree, you, your eyes will be open and you're going to know the difference between good and evil. And now you will be like God. And God doesn't want you to be like God. He doesn't want you to be like him. God is holding something back from you. He doesn't want you to be like him. And he's holding this back from you. Twisting God's character. Does that happen today? All the time. God doesn't want you to have fun. He, he doesn't want, he wants you to stay this reserved and not to have fun. So you've got to go ahead and have fun. God's trying to hold back from you, having a good time, having fun, having the, all the joys of this life. He's holding you back and he wants you to be in church and you're going to miss all the fun. And that's what God wants for you. And so we resist and we fall into the temptation and say, yeah, God, what are you trying to keep these things from me? And, and you're in this situation sometimes and maybe God says, I, I love you. I love you. And the enemy says, well, if you're in this situation, God must not love you, right? Then why are you in this situation if he loves you so much? And God says, I, I care about you. I care for you. Well, if you're in this situation, God must not care about you too much. God says, I will never leave you. And the enemy reminds us, then where's God? He's not here. Where is he? Did you see him? He's not around. And he puts those in your mind. And you understand what is happening. Satan is twisting God's word. He's twisting God's judgment. So you and I will challenge the character of of God. That's what he wants. So you and I will constantly challenge his character, doubt his character, doubt trusting him, compromising him. All those kind of things is what he's trying to do. So we need to run to the word of God to find out the truth about God and not listen to what the world says, not listen to what the enemy says, and sometimes not even listen to what our own thoughts are saying because they're not right. We need to run to God's word and allow that to purify our hearts and minds and get the truth and guidance from his word. That's why we need this so much. We need to do this. For the rest of the story and on in there, you have to come back next week because I, I want to shift gears here a little bit. I'm so delighted to tell you this morning that you don't have to live under the shadow of Genesis chapter 3, that you don't have to do it. That day that changed everything. You and I don't have to live under that shadow. We don't have to live there. There are four basic pillars to having a Christian worldview. And uh, in the last few weeks, we've talked about two of them. The first pillar of a Christian worldview, and a Christian worldview is very important for us to have, is we have a God who is eternal. It's a God who created is the first pillar, a God who created. And we talked a lot about that in Genesis chapter 1, and we spent a lot of time in there and talked about that in Genesis chapter 2. The second pillar is you have to understand uh, Genesis chapter 3, that is that man fell, that man sinned. That's the second pillar, man fell. And the, the great fall in the garden 
affected all of mankind, affected everyone. It was affected us today. From that point on, man was destined to be estranged from God, destined to be separated from God, to live in an eternity apart from God. And that shadow was cast over for centuries to come. And then what happened came the third pillar of the Christian worldview. It's the cross of Jesus and his resurrection. The cross of Jesus and his resurrection is the third pillar of that Christian worldview. It's the central point of all human history. That point right there. The central point of all human history. Because that is the day that God said to his son, he said, the time, the fullness of time has come. Go. And Jesus came to this world as a little baby, right? He was born. And then he went to the cross. And as he went to the cross, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that moment, God took all of my sins, took all of your sins, took all of those things that you've done, all those things that you've done you want nobody else to know about, right? All those secret sins. I don't want anybody to find out about this. All those bad thoughts, all those wrong motives, all those things, he put them up on Jesus, and Jesus took all those and he paid for your sins in full, completely full. He was your substitute upon that cross, and he paid them all. The physical pain was horrible, but the spiritual pain and weight was incredible. And as Jesus died on that cross, darkness came on the earth, reminding us of Genesis chapter 3, the darkest day in history. That's what this reminds us of. That darkness remind us what happened way back there in Genesis chapter 3, the darkest day in history where man fell and Jesus came to fix it. Because the cross of Jesus, that's a day of victory. That's a day of victory. Because at that cross, death was conquered. Sin was conquered. The grave was conquered. Satan was conquered. So Jesus came forth from that grave on Easter Sunday morning and he is alive. Amen? He is alive. And through him, you and I find life. We have eternal life through him. So the fourth pillar of the Christian worldview is this, the day Jesus will come again, that we look forward to Jesus coming back again. So we don't have to live in Genesis chapter 3. We don't live in that day. We look forward to the day that Jesus comes back in. Amen? That's what we're looking forward, is Jesus is coming back again one day. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior yet, If you don't know him, I pray that God through the Holy Spirit will help you to understand two things about Jesus. The first thing is that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's God, right? You understand that. That he left the throne room of heaven, who's God. All the glory left of heaven and came down as God. And he took on the form of humanity, became a baby, and he grew up. And he was the God-man, 100% God, 100% humanity. And then he went to the cross. And on that cross, God placed all your sins, mine, as I said before, all of our sins, past, present, and future. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and raised on the third day. And now our sins have been paid for. Now you and I can approach God, but we have to come to him his way. And there's only one way, the way that he has provided, right? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Or no one gets to heaven except through me. So we have to come to God through Jesus by understanding that I'm a sinner, we're all sinners, and that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. The Bible said it's by grace you've been saved through faith. So we come and receive what Jesus Christ did for us upon that cross by simple faith. Say, God, I accept what Jesus did. 
that he died on the cross for my sins, and I trust him today as my Savior. If you've never done that, please do that. And I know if you've been here any time at all, you hear me say this over and over again, but do that, do that. If you still have questions, please see me after the service and let's talk about it. Get all your questions answered and, and, and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. But maybe you're here today and you made some bad decisions and you've been deceived. You've been deceived by, by the world, by Satan. And you're at a place and you say to yourself, how did I get here? How did they get here? And is there a way out? Is there a way out? How did they get here and is there a way out? I want to tell you there, there's a way out. But the way out is not doing it your way. The way out is not continue doing what you're doing because if you continue doing what you're doing, you're going to wind up in this exact same place. You can't do it on your own. And it comes to that point that then what do I do? And it comes to that point that depends on where you are in your life. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, your next point is to accept Him as your Savior, right? Just what I shared with you a little bit before. If you do know Jesus Christ, your Savior, your next point is, is to confess your sins to God by simply saying 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9 is one of the most amazing promises, wonderful promises of the Bible that God has given for Christians for followers of Christ, for believers in Christ, that God tells you and I that if we come and we confess our sins, he doesn't say maybe I might forgive. I will forgive them every time, every time, all the times. what he's saying. No matter what you've done, I will forgive you of your sin and cleanse you and purify you from all unrighteousness. I will take the guilt away. I will take the shame away. I will take them all because Jesus paid for all of that is what the Bible says. And we can come knowing that our Savior is coming with all of his grace, all of his mercy, all of his love, all of his forgiveness, every time he promises to you and I. But after we confess our sins, there might be some difficult questions, difficult uh, decisions we need to make, right? To say, well, I've got to repent. I've got to stop doing that. I've got to stop going down that route. So I, I'm not tempted of that any longer. So there's things we have to do that we might be follow Jesus Christ. But the way out is always through God, is always through Jesus, right? If we don't know him, the way to God is through Jesus. If we do know God the Father through Jesus, the way through it is still through Jesus. That's where we find forgiveness, we find restoration, and we find life. Always through Jesus is found. Forgiveness, restoration, and life. And if you're here today, you're in your thicket, and you're thinking, what's the way out? It's confession of sin for you. It's saying, please, God, please forgive me. And find the forgiveness in the new beginning that God wants to have for all of us. God is not a God that, oh, you've done this wrong, so now I'm going to put you on the shelf. I can no longer use you. That's not God. We have a God of second, third, fourth, and fifth chances, a God of abundant grace, that there's nothing you and I can do that God will say, I'm finished with you, or anything like that. God will forgive all your sins. His grace and that blood on the cross will cover any and every sin you've committed. No matter what you've done, no matter where you are today in your life, where you walk with Jesus, if you confess it with God and repent of that, Jesus forgives and he restores and he forgives and gives life and he wants to use you. And so none of us are stuck. We can't say, well, I'm stuck because I've done this. There's no such thing when it comes to Jesus and God's grace. None of us are stuck because God's grace is bigger than anything you and I can do against God. That's his grace. So if you, you're there today, let's get our hearts and minds right this morning. 
wherever you are in your life. If you're walking right with him, come to God and praise God for that. But chances are, all of us, none of us are perfect here. We've got things in our life where we've been deceived by the enemy. We've been off track a little bit. Maybe we're stagnant. Maybe we're lukewarm in our walk with Jesus. We're not on fire for him. That's a time of confession right now. And as I'm going to pray here in a moment, you just come and say, God, I need to like, kind of confess my own heart and mind. Maybe it's self-righteous. Maybe, maybe we're not looking at our heart's mind and we think that we got it all together. And God says, no, there's only one who has it all together. And who is that? Jesus. None of us have it all together, guys. None of us have it all together. We all have room for growth, right? And we come and say, God, I, I need to commit my heart and mind to you this morning. And I need to come before the King of kings and Lord of lords and, and just lift up my heart and mind, my Lord and Savior, Jesus, and ask for your forgiveness. Ask to renew my heart and my spirit that I might walk with you, that I've been lukewarm, that I've been deceived by the enemy, that I've done these things, confess that sin right there, that I've been deceived and I been, haven't been on fire for you like I should confess that, and God will forgive. And today is a new day. It's a new beginning. That's what Genesis is. It's a new beginning. New beginnings. New life. That's what God has for us each and every day. And God will do that how many times? Forgive you? Over and over and over and over again. I know because it's done it in my life. He's forgiven me. Not only when I came to salvation, he, he accepted me and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and became a child. But after I accepted Christ, I've had to come to him and confess sin over and over and over again. And if you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, you've had to do that too, right? And I want to hear an amen. Okay, so you're all, we're all on the same page. So right now as I'm praying, spend this time just doing business with God. Confession of sin, get in our hearts, and let's unite a strong, united with Jesus, right? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, put your faith and trust in him. You can do that right now. And all of us that do know, let's get our hearts and minds right with him, okay? Let's go to Lord in prayer. Lord, we come and we praise you. We thank you, Lord, because, Lord, when we look at the book of Genesis, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and you're the one that created everything. And you created out of nothing. You have that kind of power. You are that kind of God out of nothing. And then when you created us, God, you, you said everything was good. And when you created us, human beings, you said it is very good. That we are the pinnacle of all of creation. And so now, Lord, as we come before you, we don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve your forgiveness. We don't deserve it. In Genesis chapter 3, if it was me, if I was God, I would have wiped them off. So let's start all over. We're right at the beginning of this. Adam and Eve, let's just start again. But that's not what you did. You were committed to the plan. You were committed to Adam and Eve. And you already had a plan in place where your son was going to die up on the cross. And right now, Lord, I ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that each one of us would examine our own hearts and see if there's anything that stands between us. Examine our hearts, Lord, to help us to understand, do we really know Jesus Christ, our Savior? Are we truly a follower of Christ? Now I'm not trying to doubt anyone's salvation. We just make, it, make an, an honest observation in our own hearts, Holy Spirit. And if we don't know, Lord, we, today's the day to do it. Just help them to realize that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, and they put their faith and trust in him. And I pray for all of us who do know Jesus that this morning, Lord, we'd examine our hearts and just see if there's anything, Lord, that we've just gone astray. It might not be nothing major, but it's still sin. And it might be something significant where we went and been deceived by the enemy and thought it was all right to do these things. But this morning, through God's word and through the Holy Spirit, you're convicting us of this sin, that we would not leave here, Lord, we confess it right now. 
And you promised that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and you are just and you will forgive us our sins and you will purify us from all unrighteousness. That's your promise. So none of us are coming here passing judgment on one another. The only one that can judge us is you and you chose not to. You chose to forgive us whatever we've done. So I pray, Lord, we have a time of, of cleansing of our hearts and minds, confessing of sin, whether it's, Lord, we're, we've lied, cheated, st- we've stolen, whatever it may be. Maybe, Lord, we've gossiped on others. Maybe our motives have been deceptive. Maybe we've done things we don't want anybody to know about. Our business dealings have not been right. The way we treated our spouse or something has not been right. The way we treated our children, not spending time with our family. Whatever it may be, Lord, that you would convict us this morning where we're at. Maybe it's, Lord, we cheated time with you. We're not walking right with you. We're not putting you first in our lives. Sometimes we look at those as the little things, but those are the, that's the biggest thing. You have to be first. Then, Lord, right now we just do business with you and confess our sins get our hearts and minds right between our Lord and our Savior. I pray that for us. Cleanse us, Lord. Cleanse our minds. Cleanse our hearts of any deception, of any any compromises that we've had, any sin that might be there. So, Lord, we might be cleansed by you, forgiven by you. So, Lord, when we sing this next song, our hearts remember all that happened. It's like gives the story of, of the whole thing that's happened with this, of creation and everything, what you've done. And Lord, we can sing with all of our hearts and minds that you are the King of kings, and there's no one like you. For Lord, we're so thankful to you that you love us, that you sent your Son to die for us, for our sins, for our mistakes, for the things we've done against you, that he paid the price. And so, Lord, we, we worship you, and we're so thankful. We thank you for our forgiveness. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for the eternal life that we have that's only found, only found in your son, Jesus. And we praise you for that. We praise you for that. Let us never forget, it's only through Jesus we find forgiveness of sins. Not through ourselves, not through a church, not through someone else. It's only through Jesus, that blood shed at the cross of Jesus. We're so thankful. And we praise you this morning. You deserve all the praise. May you receive it through our hearts and our minds as we lift up our hearts and voices to you, as we've cleansed them with you, and one in heart and mind all together. And Lord, we ask these things in that most precious, most amazing, glorious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.